Good morning, everybody. It is January 15th, 2024. This is episode 47 of the Paul Green Comedy Podcast. Oh my gosh, everybody. Can you believe it? I am almost at 50 episodes. 50 episodes in 50 days. I have been true to my commitment to post a podcast daily. Uh, this is, if this is your first time joining me, this is, uh, Really, just my journey. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm an actor and an improviser. I'm living here in the Phoenix area. And more than that, I am a dreamer. Yay! I am just really fascinated with the whole concept of going for dreams in life and who gets them and who doesn't. I think everybody has them, but uh, who pursues them, who doesn't pursue them, why, who gets what they want, who doesn't. But... Uh, beyond all of that, really just trying to be as transparent as I can be about my journey, my goals, and my desires in life in hopes that maybe it provides a little bit of inspiration or guidance or learnings as I am on, as I am in the journey. I think most podcasts are usually um, by people who have already achieved their dreams and so we want to listen to them because they're already wealthy or famous and I am neither wealthy nor famous yet and so I am just sharing my journey as I navigate through uh, my personal dream which right now is pursuing stand-up comedy and I also am an actor I have been doing a lot of commercial work Still looking to get some theatrical acting roles would be very, very cool. But it seems that my focus, for whatever reason, is been geared towards stand-up comedy. Which has kind of been a theme, which is a little interesting to me. Because I never set out initially in this dream to be a stand-up comedian. I was actually really terrified of stand-up comedy. I, I got started as an improvisational comedian. So I would do like whose line is it anyway type shows. And I love that very much. I was very gifted at improv. It came naturally to me. Stand-up did not appeal to me, at least in terms of performing. And I, I always loved stand-up comedians. But I was terrified and still am kind of to do stand-up. And, man, I'll tell you, I think this is this is an instance of just sort of, I hate using the word sort of. I want to be more assertive. It's an instance of learning to trust where and how the universe or God is sort of, I use sort of again, is directing the path, my path, to whatever degree there is a higher power guiding or whatever things. Um, I don't want to get into any religious or spiritual discussions too much because I'm very undecided in that whole area, and I, I, I don't want anything that I say to start sounding like I have a an idea or a religion or a spiritual 
uh, mantra or anything like that that I'm now going to project as the truth about a god or whatever. Um, the best I can articulate is it would seem as though there is a force or an influence outside of myself influencing. And the degree of that influence or the omniscience of that influence or any of that is, is I, I, I'm not going to attempt to define or put guardrails down or say, oh, well, this is what God is or this is who God is. And all things that are not what I say it is are of the devil or, you know, I, I, I that's not where I'm at. Um, but the best that I can point to is at this stage in my life that there does seem to be certain phenomenon and coincidences that do seem a little bit more than pure coincidence. And that is about as much credence as I have the capacity to to ascribe to such occurrences in my life. And so anyway, um, I'll give a little bit more backstory if this is your first time, because I really doubt that everybody, uh, that everybody has listened to all 47 episodes and have gotten the full picture of my story, although I did sort of share in detail my, my origin story a, a couple of episodes ago. But the cliff notes are, I started doing improvisational comedy in 2008. In 2014, I started doing stand-up comedy. And then in 2015, I moved to L.A. to pursue acting. My actual dream at that time, and still is, was to book a recurring role on a sitcom. I wanted to be Dwight Schrute or Michael Scott or you know, George Costanza or Cosmo Kramer or name a sitcom, name a character. That was my dream. And so I moved to L.A. to pursue that. And what kept happening in L.A. is I just kept getting sort of, uh, sort of, keep saying sort of, I just kept getting persuaded by the unseen influencer hordes stand-up comedy again and again and again. And I distinctly remember there was a time in L.A., this was maybe 2016, 2017, where I was really discouraged. I just saw how many stand-up comedians there are in Los Angeles, not to mention everywhere, but in Los Angeles particular, who were just so funny. And I had done enough open mics, you know, I'd done a couple comedy festivals or whatever, and, and I'm just seeing hundreds, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stand-up comedians. Just so many. And I would just be like, why am I... 
why am I pursuing stand-up? It's so competitive. I mean, everything is competitive. It doesn't matter where you go, acting, stand-up, producing, directing, anything in the creative arts in Los Angeles, there's 10,000 other people who have a dream to do the very thing that you want to do. And that was the case with me in acting and in stand-up comedy. And I just figured, hey, these pursuits in and of themselves for somebody who isn't already established like myself is a huge commitment to pursue stand-up comedy, to become good at it, and then to become known for it is is hard enough. But then I'm also going to try to do that in the acting sphere. Now, I know that there are plenty of stories of stand-up comedians who transition into sitcoms. Don't know a lot of the vice versa story. But, it, I mean, that was almost every sitcom in the 90s. It was, oh, who's the next big up-and-coming famous stand-up comedian? Cool. Now they have their sitcom. Tim Allen, Jerry Seinfeld, Roseanne Barr, Ellen. Uh, go down the list, right? And so many stand-up comedians would then also end up as character actors in those shows. So anyway, I just figured, well, I just I'll just pursue the acting route and who knows, maybe that'll if if I get a big acting gig, I'll go the reverse way. I'll I'll get the acting gig and then that will give me enough exposure to where I can do stand-up and get an audience because people know who I am. And uh, by the way, it's the complete opposite of what uh, authentic stand-up comedians tend to say. I, I, I think I, it was maybe Brian Regan. I hope I'm not misquoting him. I remember him saying that he distinctly only wanted to be known as a stand-up comedian. And so he would, he turned down acting gigs for a really long time because he goes, I didn't want to be one of those comedians who was just known for being in a show and then people knew me. So it was almost like they, they weren't coming to see him for his stand-up comedy. They were just coming to see him because he was famous. And oh, by the way, he happens to do stand-up. Well, great. We're just here because human beings are sort of obsessed with celebrities and we like to see celebrities whether they are talented or not. But if we know who they are. We'll, you know, we'll go see him. And so Brian Regan's point was, I didn't want that. I wanted to be such a talented comedian that anybody who knew me knew me as a stand-up comedian. And that's, and I've heard that sort of sentiment um, to from other well-known, established stand-up comedians who are very authentic, genuine stand-up comedians. That's who they are. And I was the complete opposite. I was not a genuine stand-up comedian. <laughs> Again, stand-up comedy was not easy for me. I didn't enjoy it. I struggled to write. I, I, it was so hard for me to get up and do open mics. I was so in my head. I was so nervous. I was so insecure. I didn't think I was funny as a stand-up comedian. I thought all my jokes were dumb and inauthentic and and... You know, and again, I'm in L.A. with just these funny, creative, artistic people. I was still very reserved. I was still way concerned with what people thought of me, and it was it was a real challenge for me moving out to L.A. and even attempting to do stand up. And 
I remember once doing this open mic. Man, I haven't thought of this sto- this story in a long time. I did this open mic one night, and the guy doing the stand up or doing the open mic was live streaming it. I think on Periscope. Do you all remember when Periscope was a thing? And so he would live stream the open mics to an online audience. And after one of the open mics, he he had a huge following. So there was a lot of people in his Periscope room or whatever watching uh, the live stream. And then he just said, hey, let's do a Q&A with the comics. And there was only like four or five comics in there, me and a couple other dudes. And somebody had asked the question sort of, sort of, uh, I have said sort of a lot. Someone had asked the question along the lines of, why do you do stand-up comedy or why did you get into stand-up comedy? And the other comics immediately all had an answer for that. And all of them said something similar to, well, man, the first time I ever got on stage as a stand-up comedian, I bombed so hard. But I'll tell you, it was the greatest feeling of my life. And I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And and I just thought to myself, oh, no, this is not good because I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> when I have a bad show, I don't ever want to do stand-up comedy again. And it's actually a huge exertion of energy and free will to even get me out to do stand-up comedy i'm i mean the the grind of stand-up comedy oh yeah i love it if it's a big friendly audience of a show that i happened upon or whatever which happened a few times early on in my stand-up comedy career but in terms of the real in the trenches stand-up comedian journey of writing every day working on material and then open mic every single day I mean the comedians who are really doing it multiple open mics every single day and in LA you can do that and comedians there's just this website that had all of the um, open mics in Los Angeles and the comedians who were really serious they would just map out three or four open mics and they would just start hitting open mics at 4 or 5 p.m. and then they would knock out they would go until 2 3 in the morning and knock out four or five open mics every single day and I'm going it it, it is pulling teeth to get me to do one or two a week I actually remember setting a goal of going I'm going to do two open mics a week and that to me was all I could barely even fathom doing and, and I didn't even keep that goal so I, I'm not even I'm not even in the game. If if you're in LA and you're really wanting to do stand up comedy, you're doing a minimum of an open mic a day. You gotta be popping out seven to ten sets a week to to even to even I mean, that's signing up for stand up comedy is doing seven to ten and then there's there's a whole other uh grind on top of that but anyway so I'm sitting in this room and then I hear these comics going oh yeah I just knew I just knew and I went oh no I'm in trouble here because I don't feel that way at all I, I want to run away right now <laughs> the five minutes said I did tonight I've agonized over and I don't think it went well and I don't think it's funny and I want to do acting anyway 
why, why am I doing stand-up? And it was really hard for me to articulate that. Yet, for but something always kept gently persuading me, influencing me to just never give up on stand-up. Always keep your toe in the stand-up game. And I remember shortly after that experience, I was in my room one night. I was really discouraged. I was one or two years into my L.A. journey, and it can be very discouraging, very lonely and frustrating. And I remember just thinking, okay, what what am I doing here? I don't want to do stand-up. I want to do acting. I had found a great acting teacher. I was starting to take classes. I was booking a lot of a lot of the types of projects that I could even get booked on. So a lot of student films and a lot of indie projects, a lot of up-and-comer student directors and indie directors and producers who were trying to make a name behind the camera for themselves. And I had so much fun acting in those gigs. A lot of the student films were actually really fun. They were very creative, and they have... All of the film schools in L.A. have state-of-the-art equipment and studios. And a lot of the students were very passionate and talented at what they were doing. And I got a lot of great footage. I'm going, yeah, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to do this and start working up a reel and working up a resume. And then hopefully I'll get a formidable agent who can actually start submitting me for the real TV and movie projects. And then, yeah, I'll get that first role. You know, I'll be waiter number three in the restaurant but I'm pouring a, a pour of water for a big celebrity and that was kind of Jenna Fisher's story Jenna Fisher was a server in some sitcom like five years before she got the office but anyway that's what I was thinking my journey would be and so I remember distinctly one night saying to myself I am quitting stand-up comedy I don't have it in me I don't have what it takes I've already started too late. I'm not funny enough anyway. I don't like the grind enough. I'm not writing enough. I don't like doing open mics. So obviously I don't really want it because if I really wanted it, I would be doing those things and I would learn to love the grind and I would be all in and I would be hitting open mics all the time and stuff. So I had officially quit stand-up comedy 2017, maybe 2018, somewhere around there. And within a day or so, it was really close, I get a call from Tony Visick, who I've talked about before, who was my stand-up comedy teacher in Arizona, who was actually the one who encouraged me to move to L.A. in the first place. And I get a call from him, and he goes, Hey, Paul, I had a headliner for this show that I'm producing back in Phoenix, back out last minute I think you're ready to headline will you come out and do a 45 minute headlining set so I went from I don't even want to do 5 minutes of stand up comedy at an open mic and I have quit stand up comedy in LA to come do 45 minutes and headline be the guy at the show 
And I just went, in my mind, I can't turn this opportunity down. What an opportunity. So I just said, okay, I'll be there. And I think I had a week. I had a week to go through every joke that I had ever written, which wasn't very much, again, because I was not a prolific writer. Again, every stand-up comedian, the true blues, you know, the Joe Rogans and the Mark Marins and the, you know, in the trenches, uh, stand-up comedians all say that any comedian who's really doing it, they write an hour minimum a day. They write a hundred jokes a day. And I wasn't doing that at all. Uh, that, yeah, I just, that was torture for me to try to write that much. And anyway, here I am getting getting a, getting a headlining gig and just going, all right, I guess, I guess I need to figure out I got my first cabinet meeting today. Check up out. I guess I better think of something to say. Another little Hamilton reference. I think that's the second time I've done that in my podcasting. So I did it. I did everything I could to put together a set with the stuff that I had written and went out to Phoenix a week or so later and headlined, and it went really, really well. And I just went, okay, I guess I'm still a stand-up comedian. So, if there's a lesson in all of this, ladies and gentlemen, it, whatever that voice is, whatever that influence is, and whatever you want to call it, again, I'm not getting into it. Call it God, call it the universe, call it fate, call it astrology, call it Mercury is drinking Gatorade, or whatever the heck they say. But, um... Just when the opportunity knocks, sometimes you just got to open the door, even if it seems like, wait a minute, I thought I just said I was quitting this thing. So why is this opportunity here? And man, am I glad I did, because now stand-up is a significant part of what I do and a significant part of my dream, and I have learned to love it, and I have learned to write every day, and I have learn to do open mics all the time and still get a little nervous. I still, there's still a little bit of, okay, I'm going to, I did an open mic yesterday and I was nervous and did new material that I had just written and it wasn't good yet. And, you know, it didn't really land, but, but that's part of that grind. And I'm learning more and more to enjoy that and appreciate that. And to trust that there seems to be a reason that I keep getting pulled back to stand up comedy and to stop resisting that and to let it happen, and to see how that, trusting that, will start to unfold the other dreams that I have, such as being on a sitcom, which is still one of my dreams. And I don't know the answer to that, and that's the fun part, is those of you following this journey, we get to figure it out together and discover it together, and I will just continue to be transparent with what's happening and what's going on, and we'll see what happens. So anyway, my lovely friends, that is what I got for you today on January 15th, Martin Luther King Day. Uh, how did I not bring that up? <laughs> the quintessential dreamer, the I have a dream guy. 
So that's who we are honoring today on the uh, Pargreen Comedy Podcast, although I waited till the very end to even mention it. So I have a dream that all of us will be able to live our individual dreams and manifest those and have beautiful lives of uh, fulfillment and joy and expansion and all of the good things and all of the uh, struggles and ups and downs that go into those dreams and that that will help enrich the experience for all of you. So I love you all so much. I hope you have a wonderful Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I will look forward to talking with all of you tomorrow. This is Paul Green signing out from the Paul Green Comedy Podcast. Talk to you all soon.